Greetings and salutations, and welcome to Vesperisms, the art of thinking for yourself. I'm your host, author-illustrator Vesper Stamper, and this is your weekly 15-minute recalibration of your artistic worldview. So grab your hot beverage of choice and have a seat in my studio, and let's have a chat. This is Vesperisms Episode 5, The Pathway from Perception to Thought. In last week's episode, I began a short series on the basic artistic process, perception, thought, speech, and action. We began by talking about perception as those things which we notice with our senses, the things which intersect with us before we name them. Things that make us curious, things that turn us into walking question marks before we have an actual question fully formed. Sometimes it's that elusive state of wonder or awe. The trouble comes for artists or anyone else when we move too quickly from perception to action. For visual artists, that could be as simple as when you're in a life drawing session, looking down too long at your paper instead of looking at the model who's posing for you. Or it can be as frenzied as reading a headline on your lunch break and feeling the pressure to post a finished political commentary piece on Instagram by dinner time. Again, I'm not talking about speed here. I'm talking about lack of process, of skipping over the steps that enable us to create full work. In an age of quick consumption, even art can become fast food, but you and I don't have to serve up the cheap, convenient filler. If we can fight for the fullness of our process, we will create work that endures. So here's a spoiler alert. I'm going to tell you the end game of this little series on artistic process ahead of time. I wanna give you a new appreciation for freedom. I mean specifically artistic freedom and also societal freedom and freedom of speech. I don't know about you, but in any area of my life, do I want to be told what to do or say or think? I do not. And I don't want anyone else to tell you that either. My ethos as an artist is that I want to give each other as wide a latitude as we can to create, explore, and think for ourselves. I've said it before, you cannot predict what an artist is going to need to say about their life, their culture, the times in which they live, Sometimes artists will have works that comfort, and at other times, works that provoke. But that's not up to you. That's up to the artist, who serves a specific and necessary function in a society. Now, of course, I'm sure I don't have to tell you that if we all have this wide expanse of freedom, eventually we are going to rub up against each other's differences, and the cattle herd of my wide latitude is going to cross over into your farmland and start munching on your corn. But hold your horses, partner, because we're not that far down the path yet. This week, we're just going to talk about what happens when a perception becomes an actual thought. So let's say you're walking in the park in springtime, and you see pale green baby leaves of a maple tree against the steel gray clouds of an impending storm. It hits your body, namely your eyes. You notice it afresh. You perceive it with a sense of pleasure. And then it becomes a thought. I like those colors together. That's beautiful. Maybe it's more complex. Maybe you have a dream of a painting fully completed in your mind and you wake up with this thought, I know how to achieve that. I'm going to paint that today. But before you head to the studio, your thought is what happens between your first perception and you saying words about it out loud. Listen to this poem by E.E. E. Cummings, and think about that interstitial place, that place between perception and thought. Before he wrote these words, he felt this impression of springtime and possibility. 
Yes is a pleasant country. If's wintry, my lovely. Let's open the year. Both is the very weather, not either, my treasure, when violets appear. Love is a deeper season than reason, my sweet one, and April's where we're. All right, so here's something you should know about artists. Our thoughts don't always take the form of words. Sometimes the perception lingers a long time. Sometimes we respond immediately. This is why I carry a sketchbook wherever I go. When I perceive something that I wanna capture, I've gotta have a tool at the ready or I'll lose it. And that could be a visual picture like capturing the color of those leaves against the sky. But because I'm also a writer, it could be a turn of phrase or an overheard conversation or a misunderstood lyric that has a cadence that I like. By putting it down as a sketch, I'm archiving a perception. But does that mean I've skipped the process to action? Absolutely not. The sketch is a form of thought. All artists have a sketch phase, no matter what medium they work in. It could be a journal. It could be a video that a filmmaker catches on his iPhone while taking a walk. An improvisation on the piano while practicing scales. It doesn't matter. The point is that it's not a fully articulated, finished piece of work. It's a sketch. In my field of illustration, sometimes an art director will look on social media for sketches that illustrators post. Or in a one-on-one -on -one meeting, they'll unexpectedly ask the artist to pull their sketchbook out of their bag. There's something immediate and fresh and lively that is appealing from the sketch, and it can generate exciting new ideas. But often when the illustrator is commissioned for work based on the sketch, it loses something in the final art. And that's worth paying attention to. I don't have an answer for how to avoid that. That's not my point right now. Maybe we'll talk about that in a future episode, but it's a discipline to keep work fresh and spirited. For now, I just want us to acknowledge the place of the sketch in the overall artistic process as a form of thought, not as a form of action. But here's the challenge to artists. We do need to take our thoughts all the way into articulated words. The sketch is not the only form of thought that we possess, and it's not the final form of thought. It's my strong opinion that every artist needs to learn how to write. In fact, it's my opinion that every person needs to write. It's been said by many, many people that if through all of your years of schooling, you forget all the history dates and math formulas you were ever taught, but you know how to write, you can do anything, any job put before you. And I believe that's true. I'll ask you to consider the incredible leaps in technology and art throughout the world once the price of paper was lowered and the ability to write things down was democratized. What was once the province of the elite, a paper and pen, is now available for pennies. Can we take this for granted? Can you deny that the ability to scratch out your articulated ideas is a privilege that most people throughout the millennia never dreamed of? Not just the ability to read, that's to take in the ideas of others, but to write, to manifest your own ideas. One of the most painful disciplines that the artist needs to acclimate to is the critique. Why is that? It's because we're not used to articulating what we think. It's scary. And a lot of that is because many of us don't really know what we think. We'll talk more about the actual sharing of ideas in the next two episodes, but for right now, just sit with this question. What do you think?
about the world, about yourself, about your work, how much time and space do you give to this question? And how much of what you think is really the thoughts of other people? Perception isn't something that can be judged. Just as each of us is an individual in a particular body, each of us intersects with the world around us in a completely individual way. But thoughts aren't like that. Thoughts can actually be shaped and molded and ultimately chosen. Five artists may all stand looking at the same tree against the same sky, but how they interpret it is highly influenced by certain factors, how we were trained, how much we practice, how many other artists we look at, the things we tell ourselves about our work, the richness of our inner dialogue. In the book, The Big Disconnect, clinical psychologist Katherine Steiner Adair tells the story of a teenager whose parents were concerned about her inability to finish her homework. It would take her hours and she could barely finish. They discovered that unsurprisingly, she was addicted to texting her friends and couldn't focus on her work. But instead of giving her homework skills, Dr. Steiner Adair recognized that the girl actually had no inner dialogue. As soon as she had a thought, she was sending it outside of herself to a friend. So her approach in therapy was to restore that inner dialogue by having the girl text herself. Soon enough, her ability to focus was in place because she had developed a relationship to her own thoughts. You've done it, and so have I, skipped over our inner dialogue right to sharing our perceptions, barely articulated with the public or venting to a friend or stuffing our feelings or reverting to self-protective patterns to avoid going deeper than necessary. I'm gonna take you on a little journey to where my brain has been going. So I kind of pride myself in being a crisis girl. Don't mean that I'm always in crisis, not at all. I'm saying that I'm the one you want on the phone with customer service to dispute your cell phone charges. Here's how it goes. An intense situation arises, and I immediately turn off my emotion valve, grab a machete, and just start bushwhacking through that mess. Calmly, with no yelling, and I just fix it. At least, that's what I've always told myself. A few weeks ago, I noticed that people were selling homemade face masks on Etsy, and I thought, I have an Etsy shop, I have a sewing machine, I have a bin full of cool fabric, I shall become a mask maker. It seemed like a great way to help when we all felt kind of helpless, and so I put them up in my store and I pretty much sold out immediately. But that presented a problem because I also have this thing called a job, and my job is writing and illustrating books and making batches of masks took way longer than I thought, putting me behind in my real work. I got completely overwhelmed, and that's when my life got laid completely bare. The truth is that when I perceive crisis, yes, I turn off the emotions and get to work. The problem is that, unbeknownst to me, there's been a little voice in my unconscious. Turns out it's been there my whole life, which says, no matter what solution you come up with, it's not sufficient to win this battle. Go to plan B. And then plan B becomes plan X, Y, and Z. And before you know it, I've got a to-do list a mile long. I'm fudging my deadlines. I can't focus. The inside of my brain feels like an international ping pong championship. And I'm completely making piles of face masks to the chagrin of my aching back. 
I share this because I realized that my perception was leading to a thought pattern that I assumed was working, but was actually destructive. And in fact, I was skipping right from perception to action with no process. And this has been a decades long thought pattern for me. So I chewed on this for a couple of days and it turns out that I had a great sensor for perception, but a terrible interpretation of things. So I promptly called my therapist and you heard it here, folks, I'm placing my foot on a new path and choosing a new way of thinking. Your thoughts are your most precious possession. No one can see or hear them except your creator and you get to choose your influences. What environment is most conducive to your ability to think? Has it been a long time since you were able to sit down or take a quiet walk and even have a good think? Who are the voices that are influencing you, maybe a little too much, and interfering with your ability to think for yourself? Maybe it's the news. I bet it really is the news. (laughs) Or your social media feed, or a friend or partner who keeps you trapped in a loop. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's anxiety or depression. Maybe you really do need to speak to a therapist like I did. This is a good time to do that, my friend, because most of our battles are fought in the mind, and we don't have to do it alone. This week, I don't have a recommended read. In fact, I want to challenge you to fast from reading this week. Get other people's ideas out of your thoughts. Instead, I have a recommended task. I want you to get yourself into sketch phase and reconnect with your own thoughts. Don't be precious about it. I'm not telling you to buy a fancy journal or anything, but I want to challenge you to set aside 20 minutes a day this week to do this. It could be first thing in the morning, it could be at lunch, or it could be right before you go to sleep. Just start writing. Even start doodling before you start writing. Don't worry about what. Let it be an utter stream of consciousness practice. If you're sitting in front of your coffee, write about how crappy you made it this morning or how it's the best cup you've made in months and see what comes out of your pen. Don't judge it. Set a timer if you need to. The point isn't hours of writing. It's just the simple act of restoring your inner dialogue. Thanks for joining me on this week's Vesperisms. Please subscribe and leave a five-star review on iTunes, won't you? Or a like if you're watching on YouTube and share it around. That'll help others find this podcast and cultivate their own artistic worldview. You can follow me on Instagram at Vesper Illustration and subscribe to my newsletter at VesperIllustration.com to get news about my work and a free outtake chapter from my newest book, A Cloud of Outrageous Blue, which just so happens to be about a girl discovering her creative gifts at the onset of the Great Plague of 1348. You can pre-order it now wherever you love to buy books, especially from your local bookstore, who I know would be happy to have your order. Music for Vesperisms is provided by Ben and Vesper. As you head back into sketch phase this week and restore that inner dialogue, just remember, your voice is important. Your contribution matters because work isn't everything, but everything is the work. See you next time.